Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. If you're looking for a little extra peace of mind, you might want to check out Simply Safe. Simply Safe was kind enough to send me a home protection system to try out, and I couldn't believe how easy it was to set up. Not only that, I'm kind of a gear nerd, and I was really impressed by how clear the camera was. I also love the smart lock keyless entry because there are a lot of things to remember each day, and my keys aren't always on that list, okay? Not only that, Simply Safe offers a 60-day money-back guarantee, and U.S. News & World Report awarded them the best home security systems of 2024. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have that too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/mindofamonster. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This podcast explores themes of murder and rape. Listener discretion is advised. Since October, Los Angeles police have been searching for a killer who has strangled young women and left their bodies along grassy hillsides. We've had yet another uh, set of remains identified. This is the second one that's taken place in the last several weeks. He said you're not to talk to the press at all because the hillside strangler is going to kill you next. As soon as the door opened, she knew she was screwed. From 1977 to 1985, Los Angeles became the center of two of the most notorious, vicious, and devastating serial killer investigations in U.S. history. The period saw 25 murders, five attempted murders, an unknown number of sexual assaults, and an entire county in a state of terror. I'm Dr. Michelle Ward, and this is Mind of a Monster, The Hillside Strangler and The Night Stalker. Episode 3, No One's Safe. It's 1960, and in Amarillo, Texas, a golden-haired little girl, Kimberly Martin, is born. She has an unstable home life with her parents, but when the family moves to California, Kimberly becomes the apple of her Aunt Betty's eye. This is the good part. This is something nice that you didn't get to say way back then, and you get to say now. Kimmy was absolutely a gorgeous, gorgeous child. Probably the prettiest baby I'd ever seen. I believe I was 12 or 13 when she was born. 
Kimmy's always kind of the leader of the pack. My youngest was four. Kimmy had a way of kind of getting the other ones into things that were a little more mature than their age, like putting the four-year-old up in the tree and uh, <laughs> leaving, taking the ladder away. And I'd say, Kimmy, where's Robbie? And she said, I'm betting these children learn how to climb tree. And I said, honey, he's only four. Give him the ladder. Teach him how to get down. But Kimberly had a difficult start in life, as Betty explains. Kimmy was in foster home. She stayed with us. We got her on a swim team, which was right behind our house. And she just excelled. She was wonderful. So she was in foster care with her younger siblings. I had them every weekend of their life. I would go and my sister and I'd go pick them up. And she had three. I had two. And my brother's three would pile in the car and bring it back over here. And it would be a big camp out at Aunt Betty's house with, you know, eight kids. When did Kimberly start running away? She was probably 15 and a half, maybe when she left my house, maybe a little older. Kimmy started running around with a different group. She wasn't with her regular swim team kids. And it was too late to teach her that you are what you run with. So Kimmy started running around with some pretty rough girls. They wind up running away. I went to Oakland maybe three times to pick her up off the streets and bring her home. And then finally on the fourth time, she was in San Francisco and was determined she would probably go to L.A. and live there. And I said, and do what? And... She was very vague. So, at the young age of 15 or 16, Kimberly Martin headed to L.A. Coming back to 1977 and the many different law enforcement divisions in L.A. are dealing with multiple murder cases by strangulation. The L.A. County Sheriff's Office, headed by Sergeant Frank Salerno, has the case of murdered teenager Judy Miller, whose body was discovered in La Crescenta on October 31st. Glendale Police is investigating the murder of Lissa Caston, the waitress whose murdered body was discovered on November 6th. On top of this, LAPD is looking into the murders of two young girls, Sonia Johnson and Dolores Cepeda, dumped by Dodger Stadium and discovered on November 20th and the killing of Christina Weckler, also discovered on November 20th. In total, there have been five bodies discovered within two and a half weeks. Yolanda Washington, who had been murdered in October, takes the number to six. All females, all naked, all showing evidence of strangulation and sexual assault. Connections are being made, not only by the police, but finally by the press and public too. Leo McElroy was a reporter with ABC News at the time and details how the media finally ran the story. Quite honestly, I think I wasn't covering them, but like a lot of people, I tended to shrug them off a little bit. Okay, so it's a hooker who's just gotten killed. That's too bad, but it happens. And then suddenly, one of the deaths 
is not a street person. It's a girl kidnapped from a residential neighborhood and that's the one I think that it electrified the city because it said to a lot of people we could all be in danger. Suddenly you've got a gal kidnapped off her own street and a witness sees this car pull up and grab her and take off with her. Um, and of course everybody thought it was a police car. It was an un unmarked police car they believed because gee who else would grab somebody off the street. And the LA Police Department was very very itchy about this story. Why was this? We weren't quite aware why they were being so nervous, on guard, uncommunicative. All we got was statement from then Chief Ed Davis that uh, this is one killer because he's heterosexual and heterosexuals work alone. And everybody bought it. I mean, we, we ran the story as the Hillside Strangler, singular. And that lasted until we had a killing in Glendale. I guess it was about the fourth or fifth one. By this time, we know there's a siege going on. We know there's people getting grabbed here, there, and everywhere. I happened to be in Glendale working a different law enforcement story entirely and was in the Glendale Police Department headquarters. So I'm sitting there waiting for the detective that I'm getting information from to come in. Another detective walks into the room and I said, what are you working on? He said, I'm on this Hillside Strangler case. And I said, oh, I hope you get that guy. He said, guys, I said, LAPD is saying it's one killer. He said, no, that's not true. He said, I know because the body we have has two different kinds of semen in her. She was raped by two different people. Oh, this must have been shocking for you. And so I go back to the newsroom and I point out that we should stop calling it Hillside Strangler and call it Hillside Stranglers. And everybody laughs at me because, you know, obviously I must be wrong because LAPD says Strangler. So for a long time thereafter, I kept saying it should be Stranglers. I didn't get to uh, say that on the air. I was just saying that in the newsroom. And probably being a total wise guy pest, as I often could be. The way Leo McElroy looks at it, there is twice the danger and double the pressure to stop it. The killers are pack hunting and the women and girls don't stand a chance. It's November 9th, 1977, and a 28-year-old woman named Evelyn Jane King is waiting for a bus after attending an acting class within the Scientology building in Hollywood. A talkative man joins her at the stop. He's interested in Scientology, and as they're waiting for a bus, a car pulls up. The man at the bus stop waves and tells Evelyn that the driver is his cousin. What luck. His cousin can give them both a lift home. Evelyn is cautious, but reassured when the cousin shows his police reserves badge. She gets in. 
From Kenneth Bianchi's interviews with psychiatrists, we can piece together what happened next. Part of the conversation that I can remember that happened after that was Angelo said something about he had to get home. And would she mind very much if we dropped him off first and then I would drop her off home? And she said no. When we got to Angelo's, um, naturally she was sitting in the middle of the two of us. And um, I grabbed one arm, Angelo grabbed the other, and she, she was handcuffed and told not to say a word, and she was uh, escorted out of the car and into the house. Twelve days later, on November 23rd, a badly decomposed body is discovered near the Golden State Freeway. It's Evelyn Jane King, and she's been strangled to death. With mounting fear and public and media pressure rising fast, LAPD, Glendale PD, and the Sheriff's Office put together a task force. Bob Grogan was a detective with LAPD at the time. At what point did you realize you were looking for a serial killer and that all these cases were connected? Definitely the one after Christina Weckler. Evelyn Jane King. And from that point on, we looked at them all as serial murder cases. That's after that the task force became founded by Lieutenant Ed Henderson. And uh, the detectives aren't really excited about working task force because I always felt you got one detective too many, you know. You can't find an elephant with a bloody nose in a snowstorm, you know. Sometimes one guy is better than 10 guys. But two guys is a hell of a lot better than 300. But pressure came along, media pressure. Well, was this task force kind of the solution to the various departments that were involved? Because the murders were happening one place, the bodies are being dumped another place. There's a lot of jurisdictions there. No, I had nothing to do with that, nothing at all. I knew about Salerno's cases, and I knew Roger Brown's case, the one Lisa cast, and I knew about that. I, that was my business. That's how I'm a homicide detective. That's what I find out what's going on. And I knew about those cases, so it had nothing to do with being a task force. What happened to the pressure from the media, and maybe the community, but more so the media, is that when are you going to solve this? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? How are you going to do this? And so finally, somebody threw the word task force out there, and we had a task force. And it's a pain in the ass, generally speaking. If things had been done differently, could the task force have been helpful? It could have been if we had the, the ability with computers and uh, sciences today, we probably could have caught Bianchi earlier, but we didn't have that facility. We didn't have a computer. We had an 8 by 10 yellow piece of paper and a pencil. That's what we worked with. While Bianchi's and Bono's killing rampage is progressing, 800 miles away in El Paso, Texas, Richard Ramirez's fantasies have become even more disturbed. His cousin has also been teaching him jungle warfare. In an interview with Philip Carlo for his book, The Night Stalker, Ramirez was asked about the skills he picked up from his cousin. What you are about to hear is a recreation of that interview. The words are authentic and voiced by an actor. Yes, he did. How to use a knife, where to shoot someone, how to be invisible at night, the whole enchilada. Wear all black, even shoes and socks, with the black hat with the brim pulled down to cover your face so no light can reflect off it. 
Avoiding the reflection of light, that's the key. He had also been taught precisely how to kill with a knife. Across the throat, it's called a stab slash wound. That is, you drive the point into the side of the neck and then pull it across the throat. That cuts both the windpipe and the arteries, always lethal. Armed with this knowledge, Richard dreams of exploring life someplace else, and in February 1978, as he turns 18, he leaves El Paso for good and takes a Greyhound bus to downtown Los Angeles. Back to late November 1977, and there is to be another horror for the residents of L.A. Locals in a quiet part of San Fernando Valley hear a commotion outside their house as a young girl is forced into a car by two men, one young, the other older. The young woman shouts, You won't get away with this. The next morning, Lauren Wagner's parents become concerned that their daughter has not returned home. They see her empty car across the street and raise the alarm. Coming up, the net closes in on Bianchi and Bono. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. If you're looking for a little extra peace of mind, you might want to check out Simply Safe. Simply Safe was kind enough to send me a home protection system to try out, and I couldn't believe how easy it was to set up. Not only that, I'm kind of a gear nerd, and I was really impressed by how clear the camera was. I also love the smart lock keyless entry because there are a lot of things to remember each day, and my keys aren't always on that list, okay? Not only that, Simply Safe offers a 60 day money back guarantee, and U.S. News and World Report awarded them the best home security systems of 2024. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have that too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/slash mind of a monster. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Many women have enrolled in classes for training in self-defense. Other women are buying guns. Officials say gun sales to women are significantly up. 
Authorities vow they'll eventually catch the strangler, but concede it will be difficult. As one official said, he is a good student of police operations and has left no clues as to his identity. In November 1977, a chief concern to Bob Grogan is the investigation into the murder of Christina Weckler, the sixth victim of Bianchi and Bono, who was discovered on a hillside between Glendale and Eagle Rock. It is his case, and he is working it while keeping an eye on the developments in the wider hillside investigations. As part of his investigation, Bob visits her apartment on East Garfield Avenue in Glendale and questions her neighbors. Up until August that year, Bianchi had also been a resident in this apartment complex. Her apartment is full of her artwork. It's a sobering experience for Bob. It's one thing to become a police officer. It's another thing to become a detective. And then it's a, an entirely different thing to become a detective trying to solve the murders of these young girls when you have children who are the same age as these victims. Tell me about that for you. Well, you know, this is one occupation where you never take your work home and talk to the family over the dining room table when you're having dinner. You can't do that. I mean, some of the, I can't talk about some of the horrendous crime scenes I was at. You don't, you don't bring it home. You only talk to it amongst your buddies. Detectives talk to each other. My marriage went to shit, you know. I was never home. You gotta remember, when you start working these kind of cases, you're out 24 hours a day. You don't go to work at eight and have lunch at noon and go home at five and have a couple of brews and get laid and go to sleep. There's no norm. You're on the go. Information's coming and going and going and you're responsible for following up on each and every lead, which sometimes takes weeks, months. So having a normal life was uh, certainly not there. Uh, I have a son and a daughter, and my, <laughs> thank God they're great kids, and they understood that what their dad did, but uh, they said, you know, shit, Dad, we never see much of you. I said, well, it's the nature of the job. That's the way it is. What am I going to do? Walk yeah. away from it? Can't do that. So, yeah, PTSD is a factor in my life. I still dream. I have one bad dream. I tell Christina Weckler, don't open the door. Because she opened that door, and that was it. Kenny Bianchi was there, and she knew him. And I keep that, that's my continual dream. Don't open the door. Then, on November 29th, the body of a young woman is discovered in the hills near Los Angeles's Mount Washington. She is naked, with ligature marks on her neck and signs of sexual assault. She's confirmed as 18-year-old student Lauren Wagner. She is now the eighth victim. Bob Grogan is on the scene, and it becomes his case. We had Lauren Wagner, only three or four miles from where Christina Wecker's body was dumped, nude, laying on her back, displayed. That's what we call Dick and I. So the bodies are being displayed. They like people to see them and find them. She was found on Cliff Drive in a street off the road, and uh, when I went to that crime scene with Dick Crow, the first thing I said, we got a serial murder. He said, Bob, you're absolutely right. These aren't coincidences. I mean, you don't have these kind of coincidences. You know, two girls about the same age, naked, in a three to miles apart, dump, both visible strangulation. Amid all the abductions and murders, there are still thousands of young women and girls getting on with their lives in L.A. 
It is here that we return to Kimberly Martin, who has left the care of her Aunt Betty and arrives in Hollywood only to take a job as a call girl. Once she got there, Kimmy was very, very open about what she was doing. She would want to laugh sometimes about stories that were, um, <laughs> as silly as it may sound, she did. It. Not terrible stories, but she'd want to laugh about the ones that were a little bit kind of funny. And I think that was a way of taking the edge off of me. Probably made the topic a little bit more comfortable for everybody. Yes, it was never, ever a thought of mine that Kimmy would stay there. She had always wanted children. As she said, she wanted a lot of children. And I said, then you need a very good husband. <laughs> Were you worried about her while she was in L.A.? Not, I, you know, I wasn't, honey, not until I heard um, about the Hillside Strangler. And she called and... Uh, had taken the kids to get ice cream cones, and I had not read much about it at all. My assumption at that time was that they were breaking into homes, as far as I knew. So I asked her, do you lock the doors? And the windows all locked, and the girls are, you know, everything's locked down safe. Oh, yeah, well, you know, we're taking all the precautions. She never mentioned anything else of how it was happening. The last thing she did say was, oh, Aunt Betty, don't worry. Nothing's going to happen to me. You know, you hear those words and you think, I don't want to hear that. That, you know, that, I, that's unsettling. She's like your daughter. She's more than your niece. Right. Yeah, they all were. They were all my babies. In L.A., Kimberly Martin had come onto the radar of Dr. Lois Lee, who was working to assist sex workers in the area. One of the individuals who you worked with was Kimberly Martin. Tell me about your impressions of her. Kimberly Martin was a very pretty, young, 17-year-old, blonde, modelish looking girl who had a sweetness about her. Didn't look like someone who belonged in any kind of street life. I know she had hardships in her life, but she looked different. How did you become involved in her story? I had received a call from an escort operator who was only 18 years of age herself, who was running an escort agency with the plan to protect escort girls because the escort operations were primarily run by men who would send girls out to men who they knew were going to beat them up, but they didn't care as long as they got paid. Sometimes these girls got killed. They would never call the police and report the murder. Many of the girls were talking about setting up systems to protect each other. Her plan was to check, double check the address of where the girl was going to be sent so that when the man called and gave an address, she'd make sure that it was a legitimate address. And to ask the girl to call the minute she met the man to say that he was okay. Bianchi made a phone call from the library phone at the Hollywood Public Library. By the way, we did find his fingerprints on that phone, which is absolutely unbelievable on a public telephone to find his fingerprints on it. But anyhow, he says, hey, my name is Joe Blow, and I want to hire one of your broads. And uh, you got to have an address for them to respond. You have to have a legitimate address. That's what they check. They normally don't accept that kind of a proposition over a public telephone, but the person who took that screwed up. And Kimberly called the man and talked to the man, and he had changed the address. He didn't change the street number. 
He didn't change the apartment number. He changed the street name, but he changed so that it would rhyme. Instead of being Tamarin, which was the correct address, he called it Cameron. So the C and the T rhymed. When an escort operator told me that, I knew that Kimberly had been lured. Kimberly had not called her back, and I had called the operator and had learned at that point not to use the word prostitute because nobody cared, there was contempt for prostitutes, they were jokes. And I asked the operator to tell me about the phone number from where this phone call came and told her I ran a rape hotline. And she confirmed for me it was a payphone. We knew then that Kimberly was in trouble. I asked an escort operator to have someone or herself to break into Kimberly's apartment and see if she left any clue as to where she had actually gone. Where could she be located? And sure enough, Kimberly's pimp found a piece of paper where she had crossed out the name Cameron to Tamarin. And now we had an address. And it was about 11 o'clock at night. And I proceeded to call the police to go out to the location to see if they could find her because we figured she was in trouble. Girls had already been killed by the hillside stranglers. I called for a couple hours. Finally, a lieutenant said, is this still Lois? And I said, yes, he was astounded that no one had helped me. He told me to call the sheriffs and have the sheriffs come to me because I lived in the sheriff's jurisdiction. I did, they were too busy. So I went to the sheriff's department to file the complaint. They called LAPD and LAPD was supposed to send a car to the address I'd given them. An hour passed and I called back LAPD from the sheriff's office and said, what are you doing? Well, they said, that car's off duty. And so we're going to call another car. Kimberly had reached the man's location. Bob Grogan details further. As soon as the door opened, she knew she was screwed. She saw two guys. Smart, she said, Fuck this, and of course, she tried to get away and couldn't. There was a major struggle. Another hour passed, and I called back and said, what is going on? And someone got on the phone and rudely said to me, that car's off duty, we're not gonna notify another car. The girl you reported missing is just a whore, and she probably changed trick pads on you. We're not going out to look for her. If they would have, at that time, Kimberly would have been in that apartment, in the closet, bound, unconscious, but still alive. And they finally got her out of there, out the back way, handcuffs on her, and took her to Bono's. This girl knew right away that this was not good news. And the people next door could tell there was a commotion and people were fighting and screaming and hollering and all that stuff. With Kimberly in severe trouble, Lois Lee is still desperately trying to get help. I was angry. I called Warren Wilson at KNBC, who had been covering the court cases where I was suing the police departments, and said to him at 3 o'clock in the morning, get up, Warren, we've got another one. And he went and took out a camera at KNBC and went out to the street and said, you're right, her car is here. I think these are her car keys that are in the street. I can't get in the building, it's security building. What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to wait for the police because at this point I was concerned. I knew 
that we were close to the Hillside Strangler. Miles away, Kimberly's Aunt Betty is oblivious to everything that is unfolding. The, the upsetting thing I find about that is that there was a three and a half hour gap, which will always drive me crazy. They had a three and a half hour notice that Kimmy was missing. There was a woman who had phoned the police and, and told them, and they chose to ignore it. And it was like, you what? You, how, you what? And so I, I know there were more than 65 task force workers on that case. You cannot by any means blame the task force. You can't bunch the whole group up and say, they failed. Uh, no, two or three, whoever knew that night, whoever had noticed that Kimmy had gone three and a half hours, they were the ones that, I'm sorry, they're the ones that have to live with that decision of not making that call. On December 14th, 1977, Kimberly Martin's body is discovered on a Hollywood hillside. And they exhibited her, spread eagle naked, pointing at the City Hall of Los Angeles. Again, this is a display factor. We want to show everybody who we are. We had a fight with the news media, helicopter for Christ's sake, that flew over the scene and were taking pictures of her before we had even found out her identity. Do you think I have any love for the media after seeing that? Our helicopter was up there doing what it's supposed to be doing, right? Lois Lee reaches out to a friend of hers, Gil Parra, within the sheriff's department and is asked to go in to make a statement. Nobody wanted to talk to me. No one wanted to deliver the confirmation that, in fact, it was Kimberly Martin. They put me on the payphone where my friend Gil Parra was the one who broke the news to me that the girl I reported last night missing was a hillside strangler victim. So I went back to the apartment, and there were cops all over the place, but they were all upstairs talking to the tenants. There were landlords that were on the premises, and I jammed them and said, who was in that apartment last night? They said, we don't know, we don't know. And then came a big lieutenant with a cigar in his mouth who blew smoke in my face and said, who in the hell are you? I said, I'm Lois Lee. He said, you're gonna tell me everything that happened last night and you're not to talk to the press at all because the Hillside Strangler is going to kill you next. He continued to threaten me. And before I left, I discovered that each of the officers were going door to door to talk to the tenants and asking them for their driver's license. They spoke to Kenneth Bianchi that morning, but Kenneth Bianchi was able to outsmart them and not provide his driver's license. If they would have checked him out, they would have learned that the address on his driver's license was the same address as the previous victim. Christina Weckler. They missed him. They missed him again. In the next episode, tensions emerge between Bianchi and Bono, and Richard Ramirez begins his killing spree. Mind of a Monster, The Hillside Strangler, and The Night Stalker is produced by Arrow Media for ID. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Ward. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 
Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. If you're looking for a little extra peace of mind, you might want to check out Simply Safe. Simply Safe was kind enough to send me a home protection system to try out, and I couldn't believe how easy it was to set up. Not only that, I'm kind of a gear nerd, and I was really impressed by how clear the camera was. I also love the smart lock keyless entry because there are a lot of things to remember each day, and my keys aren't always on that list, okay? Not only that, Simply Safe offers a 60-day money-back guarantee, and U.S. News & World Report awarded them the best home security systems of 2024. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have that too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/mindofamonster. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.